Thank you, Lord, that we remember from John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You were with God from the beginning. You are God. You're God in the flesh to us, the true and only God. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you thought about us, and you loved us so much that you gave us Jesus. And uh, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Fill Philip with the Holy Spirit. Be with him as he administers the word today and let us receive it joyfully so that we could glorify you in our bodies for you and you alone, Lord. Unto you, O Lord, do we lift up our soul. Let us not be ashamed when we stand before you at that one time that will come someday for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. title of this sermon is Haves and Haves Not. The haves and have nots is an idiom that's defined by our culture as the rich versus the poor. It's a saying that dates back to the 1700s. It's a contrast between the very wealthy and the very poor. It used to be the name of a TV series that's no longer on the air. But if money and possessions were the measure of well-being, then there would be many ways to be happy through human effort. Some in our government want to make policies to eliminate the gap between the haves and have-nots so that everybody is equally happy. For those who want happiness that money can buy, they don't want any preacher challenging that worldview by saying something like, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think that you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Of course, the speaker is Jesus. So are the rich guaranteed happiness? And can the poor have happiness if they don't have riches? The Bible defines the have and have nots differently than political parties do. To generate happiness, Northwest Airlines some years back offered um, mystery fare tickets. 1,500 people, 1,500 people crowded the airline's counter at International at Indianapolis International Airport, hoping for a chance to buy a, a one of 300 tickets to an unknown destination. They were sold on first-come, first-served basis. The tickets cost $59 per person or $99 per couple. And it was a one-day uh, round-trip excursion to various U.S. cities. Now, there's a catch. The ticket holders found out Saturday, August 27, 1994, where they were headed. The possible destinations included Mall of America, Lincoln Memorial, Empire State Building, Tampa, St. Louis, Kansas City, Rapid City, South Dakota. Everybody wants to go there. The travelers, though, didn't know where they were going until they arrived at the airport that Saturday morning that they were flying out. One passenger, Fred McDonald, uh, Fred Gregory yelled, 
I got one ticket to Mall of America. I'll trade for anything. He had hoped for New Orleans. Another ticket holder that got a trip to Milwaukee said, it's a brewery town. I don't even drink. I'm going back to bed. And the day that you really don't want a mystery ticket is the day you die. But there's no mystery of where we're going when we belong to Jesus Christ. In his book, Applause of Heaven, Max Lucado tells a story about a man named Robert Reed. Robert is a have and a have not. He has cerebral palsy. Let me read you a brief description from the book of this man. His hands are twisted, his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself, he can't feed himself, he can't brush his teeth, comb his hair, or put on his underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. His speech drags like a worn out audio cassette. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, and going for a walk, but it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University, from which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at a St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. Robert's disease didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972, and there he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in a park where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. Max Lucado said, I heard Robert speak recently. I watched other men carry him in his wheelchair onto the platform. I watched them lay a Bible in his lap. I watched his stiff fingers force open the pages I watched people in the audience wipe away tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did just the opposite. He held his bent hand up in the air and boasted, I have everything I need for joy. His shirts are held together by Velcro. His life is held together by joy. He had Jesus Christ. And the Bible defines the have and have nots in Romans chapter five. That's where we're at today if you brought your Bible. Romans five verses one through 11, where Paul says we have five things when we have Jesus. When we have Jesus, we have peace with God. That's Romans five verse one. Now that we have been put right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have peace with God when we repent and trust in Jesus. And it's a fact. It's not just a feeling. And when we're at peace with God, we can have the peace of God. It's different. It's something we need to actively pursue. When we're saved, God gives us his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is called Comforter. And when we keep our eyes on him and we think of Peter stepping out of the boat into the storm, um, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll have peace. And when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, anxiety and fear came into focus. He became confused and disheartened and had this sinking feeling, just like we do when we do that. We need the peace of God. Philippians 4, verse 6, 
says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Being at peace with God precedes having the peace of God in the situations we're going through even now. Before we had peace with God, we were at war with him. And the, pe- and the reason that people are at war with themselves and with one another is because they're at war with God. The Bible says in James 4.4, don't you know that to be the world's friends means to be God's enemy? If you want to be the world's friends, you make yourself God's enemy. In Romans 8, verse 6, Paul will say, to be controlled by human nature results in death. To be controlled by the Spirit results in life and peace. So people become enemies of God when they're controlled by their human nature. And we see so much anger and hatefulness in the world today. Many are angry with God, and and God is really angry with them. They don't realize that they're at war with God but if and when they accept Jesus, they feel the battle within is over. Jesus makes us right with God. Colossians 1.21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. See, clenched fists can turn into open hands when God is invited in. And it's all because we have peace with God because what Jesus has done for us. When we have Jesus, we have God's favor. Paul says in verse two, through Christ, we can approach God and stand in his favor. And so the many, many people of this world living in darkness can come into the light and into the favor of God. Listen to this personal testimony. I grew up in New Orleans. My mother worked as a daycare assistant at the Jewish Community Center. The man that I was told was my father was a carpenter and a functional alcoholic. He was abusive to my mother and I Not more than a baby herself, when she married this man, she tried her best to protect me from him. But with no life skills of her own, she did what she knew how to do. Friday was payday for him, so he would come home happy, but that was short-lived. He would go out and return a few hours later, drunk and angry, yelling and fighting her. As I look back over my life, there were many people that had a hand in shining light into my darkness when I was growing up. I had just started junior high school, And in order for me to get to high school, I had to walk through the drug dealers, literally step over the holes in the drug addicts, walk through a graveyard, then in the next block past gang members, and then go through the projects, and then come to a six-lane intersection, and it was always busy, but just beyond that was the school. Well, one day as I'm approaching this intersection, I hear this voice saying, will someone help me cross? He was in a suit, he had a cooler, in a hand and a folded lawn chair in one hand and his cane in the other. Will someone help me cross, he said. People kept ignoring him, walking past him with their busy lives. We were poor, but we were busy. I don't know why poor people are so busy. (laughs) I said, I'll help you in my 13-year-old changing voice. 
He said, well, thank you, son. May I have your shoulder? I said, yes, sir. He said, don't trick me now. I said, no, sir, I won't. We crossed the street. I asked him where he was going. He told me that he was going to, uh, to my school to sell perline candies to the kids. So I helped him to the school, and he said thank you, and he told me that God would bless me for my kindness. He and I became friends. We took that walk every day. I came out of school one afternoon, and there he was sitting outside in that lawn chair selling praline candies, 25 cents. And I saw one of the kids try to buy candy, right? And they gave Mr. Butler a dollar, and they told him it was a $5 bill. I stepped in, and I said, Mr. Butler, this is a scam. Needless to say, I had a lot of enemies at that school. But it didn't matter. I was glad to do it. You see, Mr. Butler was one of the first men in my life to see me. And what made it all the more special is that he was blind. He was a point of light. One morning, I was late meeting him, and as I walked up to the intersection, I could see Mr. Butler standing there, not saying a word. So I tipped up behind him, and I said, I said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to wait to see what happens. He said, I know you're there, son. I said, yes, sir, I am. I said, I didn't hear you saying, will someone help me cross? He said, no, I was listening for you. I said, you were? He said, yes. Sometimes in life, son, when you pray and you said all you can say, all you have to do is stand and wait and listen. What a point of light he was. There are many people in this world that are wanting, waiting, saying, asking, begging, hoping. Will someone help me cross? We all have the power to be a point of life. And Jesus helps us get to where we're going. Ephesians 3.12 says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. During the Civil War, a soldier in the Union Army lost his older brother and his father in the Battle of Gettysburg. The soldier went to Washington, D.C. to plead with Lincoln, President Lincoln. He was going to ask permission to get an exemption from military service because he wanted to go home to help his sister and mother with spring planting on the farm. He arrived at the White House. The guard on duty stopped him from going in and bothering the president. The soldier left disheartened. He sat on a bench, and a little boy approached and sat with him and listened to his story. The boy took him by the hand and led him back to the White House, right past that soldier guarding the door, past generals in the hallway, and right up to the Oval Office, and then he walked in without knocking. Lincoln and the Secretary of State were looking at battle plans laid out on the desk, and the president looked at the boy and said, good afternoon, Todd. Can you introduce me to your friend? Todd Lincoln, son of the president, said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. Well, you know, the soldier received the exemption that he desired. More than that, though, through Jesus, we have direct access to the Father. Now, you might have noticed that the temple in Jerusalem is no longer standing but this was part of God's plan as well. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John 4:21, Jesus said the time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. 
Time is coming and is already here when by the power of God's Spirit, people will worship the Father as he really is, offering him the true worship that he wants. And then at the end of his ministry, in fact, just days before he would die, in Matthew 24, verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. He responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. And that came true. At the moment of Jesus' death, the destruction of the temple began. Mark 15, verse 37 says, With a loud cry, Jesus died. The curtain hanging in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that curtain wasn't like in your windows at home. It was 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and as thick as the palm of a man's hand. How thick is your hand? It's layers of cloth. It took 300 priests to move that curtain. And being torn from top to bottom indicated that God destroyed it. That curtain was a constant reminder that access to God depended on a priest and on the sacrificial system. Well, men quickly repaired the barrier. They reinstated the the sacrificial system until the temple was removed completely. So how do people have access to God now? Animal sacrifices are no longer an option, and the Old Testament law required those animal sacrifices. It's the law, but the temple isn't there. Paul says in Romans 6.14, you are not under the law, but under grace. So now, what happens? Hebrews 10.19 says, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. This means we don't need to travel to a specific location to worship. We no longer need to drag along some innocent animal that will be sacrificed for our sins. And we no longer need to go through a priest to get to God. We have direct access through our high priest, Jesus Christ. He's our sacrifice. We're the temple of God. God's spirit lives in us. And when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then and him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When we have Jesus, we have God's approval. Paul says in verse 2, we confidently and joyfully look forward to actually becoming all that God has had in mind for us to be. He says we we can have a confident, joyful look forward in our future with God because our salvation is secure. Our hope is now in God's grace and our future is therefore filled with confidence and joy. And we should rejoice. It would certainly make church more appealing to those who are outside of the church if they could look at God's people and see that they were happy and appreciative. Paul uses a Greek word that literally means to live holding your head up high, to live with confidence. It's translated boast. In 1 Corinthians 1.31, it says in the scriptures, if anyone is going to boast, 
Let him boast only of what the Lord has done. Jeremiah 9.23, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I'm the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth that I delight in these things. You know, when we have Jesus, we can rejoice in spite of our problems. That's what he says in verse three. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So let me ask you, would you like to have more endurance, strength of character, and a stronger hope in your salvation? If so, pray for more problems and trials. Be careful what you pray for. Suffering is mentioned two times in verse four, and it's the Greek word thalipson, and it means to be under pressure. It's used to describe grapes and olives in the press being squeezed, and we're being squeezed by this world and becoming what God wants us to be. And some of us here have had health issues lately. Well, here's a homework assignment that doesn't come natural. Instead of complaining, tell others how good God has been to you. And we imitate Paul's personal example from 2 Corinthians 12:8. Three different times I begged God to make me well again, he says. Each time he said, no, but I'm with you, that's all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. Now I'm glad to boast about how weak I am. I'm glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power. In our weakness, we can show the power of God working through us. Peter tells us how we can receive praise and glory and honor when we stand before Jesus. 1 Peter 1.6 says, There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. A silversmith held the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest, and he was burning away all the impurities. He kept his eyes on the silver because if it was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. He said the silver is fully refined when I can see my image reflected in it. We are fully refined when people can see Christ in us. Now, some of you are characters. I'm not looking at anybody. But God living in and through us produces a different kind of character. Verse four, patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it. And this Greek word tested and uh, means to be approved. It's the last stage of testing before it receives the final stamp of approval from its maker, that it's a finished product. And what's the outcome of passing the tests that we are enduring now? James 1.12 says, blessed, happy, 
are those who endure when they're tested, when they pass the test, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So endure. Don't give up. Pass the test. When we have Jesus, we'll not be disappointed. That's verse 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Paul, in a personal testimony, said in Philippians 1.20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And Paul continues in our text, verse 6, saying, look at it this way. At the right time, while we were still helpless, Christ died for ungodly people. Finding someone who would die for a godly person is rare. Maybe someone would have the courage to die for a good person. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And this demonstrates God's love for us. We were enemies of God. Enemies, helpless, ungodly sinners, and Jesus came looking for us. Who can walk away from that kind of love? I read someone says, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? Jesus said, this much. He stretched his arms out on the cross and died. If you feel loved by God, there's a reason for it. Verse 5, this hope does not disappoint us, for God has poured out his love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to us. And that word poured out literally means to the point of overflowing, more than we can contain, filled to bursting. And uh, the last part of this, the takeaway of all of this, God saves the best to last. When we have Jesus, we're saved from hell, we have reservations in heaven, and our destination is not a mystery. Uh, you don't want that. Verse 9, Paul says, By his blood we are now put right with God. How much more than will we be saved by him from God's anger? We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. Now that we are God's friends, how much more will we be saved by Christ's life? In fact, that, that saying much more is repeated four times in Romans chapter 5. Through Jesus, verse 9, much more we're saved from God's wrath. Verse 10, much more we're reconciled. Verse 15, much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Verse 17, much more we will be given grace and righteousness so that we can reign with Jesus. Ephesians 2.13, now you've been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Now we can be the friend of Jesus. Final verse, verse 11. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That's worth rejoicing over. Amen? Pray with me. Father in heaven, in these dark days, our Christian faith is being tested. 
and many will be tempted not only to stay home now, but always. At first, they may watch television, and later they may not. And Lord, this world is being shaken, and our faith and our trust in you is being tested like never before. Lord, help us to pass the test, keeping our faith in you so that whether in life or death, we are with you. Forgive us of our sins by the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, and help your church be a shining example to those who are in darkness and dying. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.